No, I remember having a crush on one of your, or one of your sisters, sort of, uh, second crew, midnight crew, painting crew. Right. There was some Patty Smith, skinny, dirty, right. brunette, and I, <laughs> and she was real skinny, and she was really sweet, and I guess she was a closet screenwriter. And she she always had paint on her, and she was always chain smoking and painting. And she always, I would always see, I'm always the first guy on the set because of my makeup. Right. And so Kevin and I would show up at four in the morning or five in the morning, and she would just be leaving, having painted all night with beautiful Patty Smith yeah. blue circles under exactly. her eyes. You know? <laughs> I can't remember and, and her I had, name, but I know, you know exactly, who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. I I. I w- it would take me a while to uh, pull her name out of my memory banks, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Well, here's the thing: at a, I was at a rap party with Nancy, and I was, you know, I'd been so busy putting on the makeup, and I was so exhausted. And it might have been the rap. I think it was four, or it was the rap party for four or six. Yeah. And I was at the rap party, and I, you know, I think this. This girl caught me looking at her at some time, but I mean, I never, you know, I talked to her and I was right. nice to her and she was intriguing and kind of punk rock. And she, she was, uh, she walked around as punk rock. You know, she wasn't, yeah. she wasn't like one of the people that was like pretending to be punk rock. She, yeah. her soul well, was, she was I remember she was, she used to wear absolutely the tightest fitting skinny black jeans right. with paint exactly. all over them. And then she had a black a black jean vest, a jean jacket, but right. it was black. And I remember that. And, 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 and she had that kind of Patty Smith yes, uh, exactly. thing going she for did. her. Yeah. <laughs> but she was prettier than Patty Smith. Yeah. And, and she had like long, great legs. And, uh, but she was like, I know every time I saw her, she was filthy because she just come off an exactly. eight, nine hour shift. <laughs> right. And she was filthy. She always had like an ash on her cigarette, you know, and, and she had paint in her pores, but she was sexy and beautiful. So anyway, I met her finally. She goes to, I met her at a rap party and she, she was like cleaned up, you know, and I, and she blew my mind because I'd never seen her cleaned up, you know. And I've always remembered her. And I always just thought, oh my God, she was like, either she was like, what, either you're, I, I don't remember whether your sister hired her or, or you hired sister. her. My sister. But I know yeah. you, because I, I remember seeing your sister with her all the time. Right, right. Talking and stuff. So they I, were like, I'd, I'd see them exhausted and having worked like a 12 <laughs> or 14 hour shift, the two of them bumping into shit, you know. Exactly. And, as the sun came up, you know. That that was uh, that was that was our job, buddy. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But, I mean, we all were working around the clock. On oh those God, movies. man! My it God, was, it was it was so crazy. I absolutely one hundred percent. I finally remember her name too, Miriam. Her name was Miriam, and and I I, I think that she was uh, the best encapsulation of um, of art department uh, in that era. Um, we were all always dirty. <laughs> we were all <laughs> kind of a uh, 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 like we would cross over with the crew, you know, for a short period during the day, and then we would be vampires. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Miriam was was kind of like um, the, the the peak look of us, and she was real punk, and um, 
she she was older than you would have thought. You know, she had a she had a kid that yeah you know, uh, was almost young, almost old enough to come down to the set with us, and uh, she just had a real rough look about her, uh, which uh, it, it was absolutely she was and she was the sweetest thing in the world, and um, and yeah, Robert evidently Robert really had a thing for her. But we were definitely all vampires, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love that interview. That that whole interview. That's just a little snippet of something of, of a really good conversation between you two. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And and the thing is, is in terms of uh, the the interviews, and 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 it can should we say something here about the project that we're working on? Absolutely, go for it. Well, well. It, you and I are going to be working on a project where I am going to narrate my book. Yes. And but but in the process of narrating my book, I want to do it the same way that I did my book. I I, I want to bring in the actual interview, some of the interview pieces uh, that I actually used, and, and so that you can get the uh, the same sense of voices. Uh, of people that I was talking to that I'd worked with before on this thing. And, um, and you can get a feel for uh, us old folks talking about the good old days and, you know, um, raising our, our canes in the air. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you know, the thing, the thing is, is as you're looking through it, uh, as you're looking through these interviews Think about it this way: some, at least one of the people that's in the interviews that we're that we're going to be talking with has passed on. That is very true. That that is to not be discussed until we are ready, because it is truly something special, not only to us but for the horror community as a whole. And what we believe to be his last interview, correct, Mick? That's right. Absolutely. Oh, I I think it is. It was a very short period of time uh, past that. Three weeks that, uh, that he, um, yeah, I would say, you know, pretty close to, he was one of the last interviews that I got before I released the book. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, it wasn't very long after I released the book that, uh, he passed away. So, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, let's just hope that he's the only one by the time we <laughs> release the, uh, yes. the interview, we're getting older, you know, <laughs> You guys will be okay. We'll we'll get this. I mean, done out. I I mean, I don't think I'm going to pass away, but I'm I'm going to pass gas before then. That's for sure. <laughs> at, at least a couple times during this. At uh, least show. a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a little editing, you know. Try try to keep it a little, enhance. Keep it down a little. Can you hear me again? Okay, here. we're good. <laughs> so, so I'm here. We actually but have a very cool episode for you guys today. We we do. We do. Besides oh, just that know. Robert England interview, we have a Robert England story to tell you that involves both Mick <laughs> and I. And we pissed about, you know, when, I, when we shut down the line at Monster Mania 43 of about six hours... <laughs> It just speaks waves of the type of people that not only Mick is, but I am as well. So I will start this off, and then Mick can kind of implement his part in the story as well. So Saturday morning hits. It's my birthday. Mick messaged me the night before. Did you do it yet? Did you do it yet? 
And I was like, no, I didn't do it yet. I was going to wait until, you know, I knew where he was and everything. So we finally get to Monster Mania Saturday morning, my birthday. I'm excited. So you got to say what you're doing. I'm going to deliver a book to Robert England inscribed That's by, right. inscribed by Mick Strawn. Okay, huge <laughs> fucking deal. I We prepped this weeks in advance. So I grab a VIP pass from my buddy, and I walk up to the VIP room, and I sit. Well, I, I said I stand, and the guy's like, okay, here's the VIP pass, and I stand. I'm five people away from Robert England. Five fucking people away from Robert England. <laughs> and this muscles – I'm going to call muscles glasses for this time. Muscles glasses, muscles glasses. <laughs> walks up to me, and he's like, yo, you don't got the wristband. I was like, what? He's like, you got the VIP pass with the wristband. How would you do that? I was like, my friends? He's like, what's your friend's name? And I was like, what What does it matter? He's like, you can't be in here unless you have the pass and the wristband. I was like, motherfucker. He's like, so you need to leave. So at this time, I'm pissed, and I'm simultaneously messaging Mick, and Mick's like, FaceTime me. And of course, I hesitate. I hesitate because <laughs> I know Mick. I know what he has a tendency to do. <laughs> under under that wonderful exterior it is a fiery firecracker just ready to go off. So I was like, uh, okay, I'll do it. So I, I grab my phone, and we go to the guy. We don't go to Muscle's glasses. We go to the guy next to him. We go above him. So <laughs> then what did I say? <laughs> put your put the phone up. To put him. the phone up to him. So I'm holding my phone, shaking, and there's this guy, and Mick's talking to him. He's like, "Get me Robert Handler." Mick, you want to fill us in? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, I said, get just get me on the phone. He says, just get me so that I can see him. <laughs> and, and and so all of a sudden, I'm looking at this guy who's. By the way, he was completely confused. Oh, totally. He, <laughs> totally. he had no idea what he. I said, look, I'm I'm an old friend of Roberts. Uh, I was the production designer of My Nightmare on Elm Street three and four, and uh, I'm trying to get this book. <laughs> to Robert and Robert knows that he's supposed to get the book. Oh yes. Um, and, and, uh, you just, can you just get me all the way in there? And I'm trying my best to make it seem like I'm a person standing in front of him. And I did it really well. Right. Oh, very well. So, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden he goes, Oh, Oh yeah. <laughs> it progressed from there from, okay. So now we got to go to the secondary person. We're not to Robert yet. So we got to get the handler. No. The handler has to come over. And now we got to hand my phone from random event staff. Number one, who's standing next to muscles glasses. And now I got to handle. So I got to handle is the handler. I got to hand him my phone. So the handler has my phone and he's talking to Mick and Mick, you know, gives him the same spiel. And then the handler wasn't so sure. He's like, he was just like, don't like, lie to uh, me. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, what I really love though, the part that I really loved is all of a sudden you could tell that he had decided that, that he didn't, the, the thing is, is that the guy, this weird guy on the phone, <laughs> Seemed like more trouble than than his boss. Yeah, <laughs> and he was jittery. He was jittery. That's my favorite yeah. thing. He was really yeah, and he just go uh, okay. But but as and then as we're walking over to Robert and he's getting going around the line, he goes, 
You're not gonna get me in trouble, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Thinking Mick's lying to him or some shit. Halfway yeah, through like, walking there, he's like, "What if? What if? I'm about to get fucked over." Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He totally had that look on his face. He's, he, he's like, he had that look on his face that, how did I get into this position? <laughs> I'm fucked either way I go. <laughs> so, to set the scene, the room is filled with people. There's a line, and then that line goes outside, and that line goes outside and wraps around the building. Like I said, it's a six-hour line. So Mick and I waltz in there as the the fucking dynamic duo with him on FaceTime. And we shut it down. As soon as Robert sees Mick, he's like, who is that? And then he's like, he lets his times for let gives time for his eyes to adjust. And he's like, Mick! Mick! And then Mick <laughs> take over. <laughs> Look, everybody, it's Mick! <laughs> the room he erupts. Goes, Everyone. Yeah, oh, Hey, this is Mick Strong. This is the guy that gave her the look to all the films. And everyone goes, yeah. <laughs> you know what? It really, I, I'm not kidding. I almost felt like, 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 uh, you know, uh, these days, every once in a while, you see this uh, robot assist, you know, that, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a monitor on the top of a stand with wheels. <laughs> that's you, but it's me on totally, the stand. That's yeah. totally how I felt. <laughs> So, so I'm like, hey, are you ready? <laughs> and then he proceeds to have a conversation with Robert on my phone, and I'm shaking because fucking Robert England's in front of me, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. Every once in a while, you turn the phone back to you, yeah. and, and you're like, what the fuck? And then Robert has the book in his hand. He's looking through it. Picture. Oh, these are only pictures that Mick could show you. All oh, the stories. And you know, and, yeah, it, it, and he has his hand up to his cheek, and he's tapping his fingers on his cheek, and he's, you know, he's he's taking his hand, and he's 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 like he's like Trump with his hands. He just he, he's very, you know, he he just moves constantly when he when he's talking. This is the both of us are that way. Yeah. And even as I said that, I had my fingers out, and so both of us are that way. So, so anyway, and then like I'm just talking to him, and we're talking. Yeah, we're going to see each other a little bit later this year, and da 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 down the line, and uh, and and in the meantime, he's showing the book to everybody in the line. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, later on, I got a, a text from uh, him and Nancy saying that they really, they really enjoyed the book and they had a great time. It was a great interruption for that's, the day. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's my introduction to Robert England via Mixed There you go. Uh, thank and you. that's got to be a one of a kind, baby. <laughs> oh, it is. Uh, thank you for that awesome birthday present. That was something that I'll remember for the rest <laughs> of my life. Uh, and I am sure to, and I promise to all of you rabbit hole listeners out there, there is going to be more hell raised at future cons from me and Mick. So, oh yeah, oh, yeah. This is this is just a prelude. <laughs> this is the tip. The, you haven't even got to the shaft. It's, it's oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle the shaft, baby. Uh, yeah, you can't. So you I've can, been reading but... behind the screams. Oh yeah. So how is that going, my friend? Really good. I'm about fifty pages in, and I want to talk about one story on there. So now that I have the ability. Oh, to... and by the way, yes. by the way, yes. <laughs> Might I say that you said the other day, you said, and I distinctly remember this, is I don't remember whether we were talking about or or if it was uh, an interview in, in something else, and, and you said, you 
No, and you use the phrase. I've heard all the stories about. <laughs> oh, okay. Nightmare. Yes. You, you, you specifically use that phrase, and, and I think you remember it, right? Yes. I don't know what we were talking about. Okay. Now, I want to point out something to you. You don't know all the stories yet. <laughs> I don't. I'm 50 pages in, but what he's referring to is, is that Monster Mania Robert England had a Q&A. And I did the Hellraiser one with Clive Barker and all the Cenobites and stuff. And then Robert was coming on right afterwards. So I know I made the executive decision to do the costume contest that night. And I was like, well, I don't really oh, need, wait, 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 yes, wait. I don't need to sit through the Robert one because I literally hear Nightmare on Elm Street stories every week. Uh, what a blessing that is. But <laughs> hearing the same things from Robert and then me being like, ah. I want to ask questions, but I don't. But it's it's. It, so I I, I just kind of left, and and I did make the story. Well, I've heard an, I've heard all the Nightmare on Elm Street stories, and that is a dick move because I have touched just touched the tip of this book, and I've I, I can't wait to ask you so many questions now. This <laughs> this is lovely. Oh. See, this is okay, and 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 let me just say that that this is the reason I wanted to write a really in depth story mm -hmm. about one of the movies I worked on so that I can say unequivocally 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 that you don't know all the stories uh, until you've had more of a chance to be in the background and so, somebody that like that works the background and foreground and was really actually there yeah that really wants to take the time to tell you everything that was going on. And and actually to get other people in for it, uh, this is a really unique book in that way. You just don't see it like this. Uh, there's a lot of people involved in this book, and there's just a lot of great uh, – one of my guides in this book was this. I, I, people would say, well, yeah, but what am I going to say? And I said, well, the thing is, is this, is I want you to tell me the two stories that, and, that you tell – about night that you still tell about Nightmare on Elm Street four, and that's a great guide for this. Yeah, and in that, in the terms of that guide, then we get this book. And the book is just the best way to get that experience or close to the experience that Mick was talking about about learning all of this is to listen to all the rabbit hole episodes, listen to the audiobook once it comes out, and then read the book itself because then you will truly understand and truly. Start, just start to get a feeling of what it was like to be on the set with these guys because the stories, the camaraderie, and just the struggles that they had to go through to make these films is batshit fucking crazy. It is, and here's the thing is that was what filmmaking for big horror and stuff like that was like for us. It was it was kind of like not even completely legal. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say that that uh, uh, one of the most illegal things that's happening is a, a film crew going down the road. <laughs> and, and more at that time than now, uh, you know, the thing is, is a, we were kind of um, – I don't know if it's, if it's the sake of camaraderie. It's a combination of camaraderie. And uh, and a group of people that will die to get the shot, <laughs> um, but but more importantly, also kill. Yeah, 
<laughs> to get the shot. <laughs> so amongst my reading, there's one story that I'd like to get out of the way, and this is a good episode to do it on. So during – I want to say three – I want to say four, but maybe it was during three. You decided to come in a skosh early and take the lift up to get a picture. <laughs> I was not on street four. Okay, That's four. Right. And you were having problems with the ground being sturdy for that particular <laughs> set, which would resulted into you bringing steel steel in for the whole set to sit on. But before you did that, you decided it'd be a great idea to take the lift to the top and take a picture, but the ground shifted on you. Right. This was this was on Nightmare on Elm Street four and and the entire I mean that the set, quote unquote, was an acre of land next to an auto parts uh, uh, auto parts uh, wrecking yard. Oh. And what we did is we took fence down in between the lot and the auto parts, and we rented or rented. We just bought all the cars, <laughs> and, and then we moved those cars via forklift. <laughs> Via forklift into the pattern that is the maze, and uh, it's not you know when you do the overall shot, the overhead shot, that that was I built a model that was used to do the optic off of and to do the real filming off of, and and it was a very specific um, look, and and the thing is is the, the look. And this is hard to describe because the look that I wanted to get from overhead stopped at a certain point because we knew it would go to optics and then had to be correct for actual filming. In other words, um, mm. the light let, – let's talk about the light just itself. The light itself – had to be thrown from a long ways away in order to get those rays of light that are cutting through the uh, that are cutting through the shot. In order to do that, it couldn't. They the light itself couldn't be interrupted. So whenever you're looking at those cars and you think that there's a whole row behind that and a row behind that and a row behind that, there isn't <laughs> because there had to be enough room to get the lights. To get the throw of the lights, so there were so many things that were involved, including the mechanics of making all this stuff happen, that it was a very tricky process in order to make. It, it, so we basically took an acre and we just built um, a maze and and then kind of a maze within the maze that could be filmed, and then that's kind of what you're seeing. Oh, and when I and when I got there, <laughs> I was there on a Sunday. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> when nobody was working, just before we were going to film, and I got up in the 120-foot condor <laughs> and decided that um, I was going to take a picture. And the security guards were up front, and they were all the way in back, and, and this was in the lot next door anyway, and so nobody's paying attention to me. And, and, and you're talking about pretty big spaces here, not little spaces, big spaces, right? And um, and so I got it up there, and and the thing is, is everything was built on um, a really old dump, uh, the original Los Angeles dump, and part of the reason that they could only get, they could only keep um, uh, auto parts stores and stuff out there was because the gr the ground was so uh, 
and it was so shaky and, and it continually shifted. And that made it very difficult for, the, for, for condors and stuff like, and you know, the things we're stacking cars, we were stacking cars, eight cars high. Yes. And our rigging was un- unbelievable for that. All, all those cars uh, were uh, all cabled together or mm-hmm. welded together, a combination of the two in order. It, and, you know, everything that was sharp was uh, w- was pounded away uh, so that it would still look evil. But but it was actually you could run around in there without actually killing yourself. Uh, it was an incredible amount of work. But I wanted to go up on, in this condor. And uh, sure enough, as soon as I got it extended <laughs> 120 feet up in the air, um, the ground shifts underneath it. And when it does, the way that those condors work is that everything shuts off. <laughs> the motor shuts off, the controls shut down, everything. And I'm 120 feet up in the air, and I have absolutely no way to get down, and I'm yelling, and nobody nobody can hear me because I'm in the middle of nowhere. And so then I had to get up, and I had to climb down the snoot, <laughs> <laughs> which is just the ugliest, greasiest, just, oh, just like. Like literally, I don't even think that I could have fallen because I the grease <laughs> literally sucked me. Up. <laughs> you know, it, it's you think that grease is really sticky, but if you've got really old grease, yeah, yeah, it's it's just it was like kind of like glue. <laughs> it was truly disgusting, <laughs> and I had to climb down 120 feet down that. Oh <laughs> my. Yeah. So fun was. So go ahead. Another standout moment in the book for me so far is there's a fellow that you repeatedly fired, <laughs> and it, it, what the one time that you did, I was actually reading my book and, and I was going through, and I got to the point where he held up two rusty hooks to you, and you just looked at him, <laughs> and you're like, "You're fired." You're fired. <laughs> and, I, and I just heard that in my head and I was just like I need to know more so tell me more about this guy and the repeated firings Vince, Vince, Vince Hammond um, he, he's been a friend for a long time and he is honest to God a weird ass human being um, if, if you connect the name Hammond and you think Hammond Organ and Hammond Organ also has happens to be uh Hammond Organ is a subsidiary of an electri- electronic component company called Hammond Transformer. And he was the heir to this. Now, um, he was a rebellious person, and uh, he was also uh, like six foot ten. And um, it, it, <laughs> for some reason, uh, he just he wanted to work on movies. And uh, he had a background. He had gone into the army, you know, just to, to piss his parents off. And uh, and and he had learned uh, how to operate heavy equipment. And I need somebody to paint the tops of flats and to operate heavy equipment. <laughs> <laughs> and he could do both okay. <laughs> without a ladder. <laughs> and, but at the same time, him and – him and also Vince <clears throat> had this way of um, 
Like uh, he would go. He started with me actually on Critters too, and I fired him a couple of times. <laughs> uh, and I would usually hire him back, you know, within a couple of days, um, because he he was just one of those people you had to knock down a peg after a while. I mean, after a while, he he was uh, he would start stealing people from any crew that was around and have them working for him. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> And I was like, uh, oh, no, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. He wouldn't tell you how, but, you know, like you'd get on a job and all of a sudden there'd be like 10 times as many tractors and, and everybody be operating and everything. And bah, it would be um, it, it would be crazy. And he wouldn't tell anybody about it. Oh. <laughs> he just, so he, he was a little bit of a, 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 a medical maniac. And but but, you know, um he was he was really weird and um and therefore i kept him around but uh in order to control him it was uh, absolutely necessary to fire him every two weeks and um <laughs> and you ask him and he absolutely 100 percent will agree with you okay so he's very aware yes he's very aware of 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 how weird he is and, and you know there's no bad feelings between us it's just that you know uh, Vince, it's, it's time for you to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) So to wrap up the show, I wanted to bring up a part that is very early on in your book. And that part would be the fact that Robert almost didn't play Freddy in nightmare two until Jack shoulder made a move. And if you'd like to talk about that story a little bit and then expand. Oh yeah. Because, well, the thing is, is this is, I, I think that it was, Having talked to um, having talked to Bob Shea yes. before, also, and and knowing both ends of this thing, um, the 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 thing is that it it's how your agent does posturing. Yeah, you know, uh, you don't have any power when you've signed the contract and you're on the film. And uh, and the producer doesn't have any power <laughs> once you do. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's that there, there's that two heads butting together that happens at the beginning of every one of these films. And and the thing is, is from the moment it started, it, it um, originally uh, Wes Craven uh, and even. Um, I'm trying to think who's the director of Jack Shoulder. Even Jack Shoulder, they, they knew that 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 this was a different character. This yeah. was not just a guy with a mask. Yeah, for um, sure. And and when you think about it, just a guy with a mask is pretty much a description of everybody that had was doing anything just there. Um, yeah, let's put it this way: the cons themselves, there could not be anywhere near as many horror cons as there are now. If it wasn't for the fact that every Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, every Halloween and every um, Friday the Thirteenth uh, couldn't hire another person to walk around with a rubber mask on their face, <laughs> so. <laughs> So in in that manner, right there, with those three films, you have at least fifteen people that can that can go out to different cons, that right? Is, that is true. 
I mean, call me a little bit of a skeptic, but uh, uh, Robert is not as easy to replace. And, and so you have these battles at the beginning of these things. And, and, you know, I'm, I was talking to um, Rick Baker, who was the stuntman. And at the beginning of Nightmare on Street 4, he was, he, he was asked to uh, stand in for Freddy and, uh, and Rick Baker. Now, by the, by the time we're on the fourth one, Rick Baker was had would had nothing to do with it at all, because <laughs> because he had been he had been working now. This is this was his was uh, his uh, third film, right? Uh-huh. So Rick was like, "Nah, I ain't gonna do that." <laughs> and I think that actually comes up in one of Rick's interviews. I don't know if I included that in the book, uh, oh. but. I'm telling you now, and and it is in some of the interviews that we've got. Awesome. Some of the, the the massive interviews that that uh, TJ has now uh, agreed to go through. Yes. Uh, l- <laughs> little does he know how much work that is. <laughs> I am willing to take on any challenge. And speaking of stuntman, uh, how about we include uh, the Rick Baker episode next time, and we can just do an entire episode about stuntmen. Yeah, why not? That'd be awesome. Uh, there, there's somebody that I was looking for from. Uh, I, I've got great stories to t- to add to stuntmen. Uh, Lord, I've been dealing with stuntmen, you know, for freaking ages, and uh, uh, they're they're unique, unique a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, so anyway. Back to that uh, Nightmare 2 story, they had somebody come in and they actually shot promo photos and stuff like that featuring another actor. And Which is – which the poster is not him. No. The poster isn't Robert. Yeah. And he said that Robert said the guy had a, a – what, a neck like a linebacker or something like yeah, that? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When 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 you look at – when you look at the very beginning of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, you, you totally, especially if somebody says, yeah, no, it wasn't him. And you look at the film, you go, yeah, that wasn't him. It really <laughs> wasn't, boy. It's like, uh, uh, that's rough. <laughs> I just can't imagine now. See, how this is something I actually haven't brought up on this yet. How do you feel about the Nightmare remake? Don't know. I haven't seen it. Really? Look. You know, I was busy making the films. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I I've, I keep telling people this. is well, I can't believe you haven't seen this, and I can't believe you that. And I go, well, you know, it's you got to remember, I've only been out of the, <laughs> I've only been out of the business for like maybe five six years. So, <laughs> so all that time, I was a little bit busy. Yeah, that's true. It's not worth watching. Uh, it's definitely not Robert, and the, the whole flavor and tone of the movie is just it's really off for me. It's, it's it was it it was so unique and he, and here's the thing let, let me give you another thing that goes with the whole mantra of it that changed just about nightmare on, just about the time that they were doing five and it's part of the reason that I walked off of five before the end of it is that there was a certain mechanical that there were there were so many things that had to be protected as you were watching the films. Like one of them is there was a very realness to the effects, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they had to be practical. And 
and they were they tended to be at their weakest when they weren't. Okay, uh-huh. and I think part of that weakness started to seep into the series right around Nightmare on Five. Ah, okay. And, and I was there when it happened because I had a director on that film that literally turned to me all the time during the filming and said, say, well, how would you do that? And I would say, well, this is how we would do this according to the Bible of doing a Nightmare on Elm Street. And then I would say, and it would be practical, and he would say, okay, that, everybody else, everybody else, that is exactly what we wouldn't do. <laughs> Oh, like, wow. Yeah. Well, let me just tell you, <laughs> you you don't feel very appreciated or want to stick around a long time when that's, you know, uh, what's going on. So you were involved with Nightmare 5, but you just left. Yeah, I finally I, I left probably, let's say, first, second week. Second week into it, I think. Well, then that can attest to the the film itself. There's a lot of uh, Goremore listeners that actually have talked to me about this. That the series really falls off after four. So yeah, it 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 does, and I think part of it. I'm not going to say just because I wasn't there. No, but but... I think I think that they lost their way. I think that they Uh just kind of let it go very optical. Uh huh. And cartoony, Um, very cartoony. Yeah, and and the optics, the optical stuff kind of adds to the cartoon aspect of it. Yeah, you know, uh, then then it has, uh, <laughs> it's it's what I call the 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 uh, squash and skip conundrum. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, see, if the thing is, is if there's all this ten, there's always this tendency, and I didn't know it until I did. Um, until I started to work on Hercules. Oh my god. I looked at your IMDB the other day and yeah. whenever it came across Hercules, you did so many Hercules movies. <laughs> so many. Is, I have to tell you this is in Hercules we had a problem uh putting together uh, optical people, the, or the new CGI technology. Uh-huh. Uh, we were using a lot. I mean, we were using a lot of like really old techniques and we were trying to mix them with, uh, with the new CGI stuff. Right. Yeah. And we kept running into like this mismatch. Right. And, and, and finally we kind of discovered problem is is this is that you you have to start <laughs> there's this thing called squash and stretch okay. when you're talking about animation right yeah. um squash and stretch is how you put flavor into animation um uh i i put it this way is if you have ever seen the the trucking logo uh, like the the high stepping trucking, where the man is like, and, and every time he steps, his foot goes way out in front, of him, you know, yeah, and yeah, his yeah. back like like goes down, and then he is okay. That's a perfect example of 
of um, stretch and squat, stretch and stretch and squat, because you can manipulate the reality of the figure. And the problem is that the reality of the figure optically, (laughs) you know, with CGI, there's this tendency to want to stretch that to make it more interesting. And that's what was happening. That's what was happening with Hercules. We couldn't match, you know, all the techniques that we were doing in real life. You know, like, let's say that, uh, uh, like, there was a monster on the road, and we used a, a, a rubber hood of the monster, puppet of the monster to attack, right? Yes. And then pulls away, and the next shot has to be the whole monster, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is they would they would stretch that monster to look like it was like really horrible. (laughs) And then it made everything else look like a rubber dummy because they were manipulating it with stretch techniques. Oh, okay. So it wouldn't match up. Okay. Right. So the matchup problem. And the thing is, is this traditionally, especially at the beginning, that was the problem is people that were working in animation were the ones that went into uh, CGI and the CGI people didn't realize that that the problems that they were one, one of the teething problems of early CGI stuff was that you had all these people from animation working in it and they didn't know how to not stretch things. Okay, that makes sense and that explains a lot of those early 90s CGI things, especially in television works. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I got to tell you, in Hercules, it just about drove us. It drove me bananas because I was like, "You can't cut from you, you know." <laughs> because the thing is, is like if if a creature had to, like if a creature pulls back and then lurches forward, right? Yeah. yeah. In in animation, there's a specific way that you do that, right? Yeah. And it has to do with uh, you stretch the neck. You make the mouth wider, you know, all this, but, but, you know, that to, to get, because that's part of their, uh, language. So it's so, it was so hard to get them not to do all that. Right. Because (laughs) it's just so natural. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So anyway, well, you know, things that you learn and, and I think that that, to a certain extent, really happened uh, to, to Freddy, particularly on Nightmare on Elm Street 5 and particularly in 6 and on. For sure. Uh, it's it's just every franchise, you know, has that decline or that fall-off point, and, and there's no correlation between, you know, production designers or anything like that, but like Mick just said, things changed over time, and directions right, change, yeah. and then just if that direction doesn't meet, you know, the needs of fans and stuff, then it, it just it just happens that way, and, that, and that's what happened right. with the Nightmare franchise, right. happened well, with the Friday and But, but you, also, you also have to remember this, is that when we went from three, we there, there was a really common path that the first film is kind of known as the best, yes. right? And then the second film becomes more of a focus for the fans, and then the third film is more focused for the fans, and therefore it gets a smaller and smaller audience, and the money drops off, right? Yes. But we blew it out on three. Oh, see, that's that's the thing, is Nightmare redefines the entire franchise re- re- on three. 
We intentionally redefined it. I mean, we... It's <laughs> it's people's favorite. See, this is how I view the Nightmare series, is three's the best. One right. has that Wes Craven feeling and set the tone. Two is the right. darkest, and four is the MTV, as you would say, right. of Nightmares. It's... it's it, 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 yeah. It was a natural extension of, of what we were trying to do. For sure. And, and the and the third and fourth to get to me the third and the fourth the third and the fourth work is a, a the third fourth and to a certain extent the fifth the first the third the first the third the fourth and the fifth could be a trilogy yeah uh, or, or could be a quad I mean they 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 all kind of flow into each other but they're still dropping off by the by the fifth um, you know just just the whole thing together uh, but the thing is is we re, we rebuilt it. By the time we hit three, and it was very intentional, and there were very—I mean, uh, the first was to let Robert be Robert, and 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 to lean on him, yeah, to let his lines come out because the guy's, you know, he's 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 a real actor. I mean, he's really good, right? Yeah, and sure. so we kind of let let his lighter personality out, um, and at the same time we. You see, there's another problem that you had before Nightmare on Elm Street three that three compl- that three kind of solved and made so many more uh, films possible. Can you can you think of what it is? Tell me. Here's okay. <laughs> Freddy has a Superman problem, and you know what the Superman problem is, right? What's the super? Oh, he has a, he has like a, a really strong weakness that it can be exploited. No, oh, that he doesn't have a weakness. Oh, I thought the whole if you don't fear him thing that's his weakness. Yeah, but here's the thing. Yeah, but that's really hard to explain. It's not a very good. It's not a very good way of. Uh, I, I mean, Nancy still got killed in the end, and then we completely screwed up the line between reality and dream by the time we did the second. But yeah. when we went to the third, what we did is we put together a group of people, a group of kids that got together and pulled each other into their dreams. Yeah. Fought, right. They fought back the good fight. <laughs> right. They got together. They got together and they fought. And the thing is, is that when you really think about it, that's exactly what happened for all the rest of the films. You're right. It set the tone for the rest. I never thought. But it also set the phone, the tone for it, and it also set the tone for like you know, uh, film after film after film. You know, Goonies, uh, Goonies, on and on and on and on was a group of kids getting together. You, you know, basically, it, it kind of was like um, the little rascals were brought in. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, that, that that you are so right. I, I never thought of it that way, but it literally set the tone for so many movies that follow. We intentionally did that. That's great. That is oh, see, this is this is this why we do this each week. The insight that we can find among there's a rabbit like hole this. for you. That I mean, there. Hey, rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, but that's no, uh, but, that's the end of our rabbit hole for this week, though. There you go. Well, sorry, sorry about that, guys. There, there you go. I, I, I will leave that, and we'll we will talk more about that particular aspect and and how it changed. Uh, so many things uh, in horror, and 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 now you know what the Superman problem is. Yep. 
So just a friendly reminder that the Rabbit Hole Podcast is part of the Do Back Discussion Podcast Network, featuring other podcasts such as the Gormore Podcast, the Do Back Discussion, Hall of Heroes, Wicked Wednesdays, Jerk the Curtain, and the Dream Warrior Review. All can <laughs> be found on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and over at dobackdiscussion.net, your source for pop culture and much more. And visit our Tee Public store at Dubak Discussion and, and pick up your rabbit hole t-shirt now. And also, if you want to see Mick and I take this show on the road, then request us at your local cons. That's TJ Bowser and Mick Strawn. We can do this in your local convention. But in t- <laughs> until next time, that is TJ Bowser signing off. And Mick Strawn says bye. <laughs> the day you passed away. Something about this place changed We were waiting for signals of love But you were cold and I guess you'd had enough Spoke my name, I felt your pain as your eyes cloud up And then close shut, I saw you so Leave this room like it was sick of you You had this look on your face like you were thinking just take me That he'd never shown So many secrets he kept Some things he was forced to accept Spoke my name I felt your pain as your eyes cloud up And then close shut I saw your soul Leave this room like you were sick of you You had this look on your face Like you were thinking Just take me away Just...